Hey, Central Family. We want to do a few one-off podcasts called Digging Deeper. And we're choosing passages in Hebrews where we maybe have had to skip over them on Sundays in order to get through the whole sermon series in one term. Because we don't want to skip over any of Hebrews. All of it is, as we've been discovering, so rich and dense at points. But when we unpack it, it reveals this incredible picture of Jesus, of this new covenant that we have in him. And so uh, at this moment, I want us to read a chapter together and to study it a bit more and reflect a bit more on what it means for us. So I'd encourage you, if you are sitting down and you're comfortable, then grab a Bible and read it with me. Or if you're on the move, and then just be present to the words as I read them out now. We're reading from Hebrews chapter 9. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed, as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came, as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer were sprinkled on those who were ceremonial and clean to sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. I'm going to say the thing that we've said every week when we've been preaching in Hebrews so far. There's a lot going on here, isn't there? <laughs> what I want us to do is, I want us to walk through the journey that the high priest would have gone on in order to present God's people before God's and atone for their sins. Because that's what the writer wants us to have visualized in the front of our memory as we reflect on what the new covenant, what Jesus offers to us as we worship him. 
So as you look through chapter 9, in this kind of condensed account, first off, we have this tabernacle, this design building that was created to resemble a heavenly reality of God's throne room. But it was also set apart so that God's people would look on it and see that God's presence was there, but also that there was separation. The priests, those who were elected by God in the line of Levi through Aaron, were the ones who ministered on behalf of the people to God and ministered as God's people to the rest of the Israelites. And then through the second curtain to the most holy place was a space that was only accessed once a year. And the high priest would have to go and do his normal rituals to get into the holy place and then do further rituals with cleansing of bloods and ashes in order to even begin to enter. In fact, as I'm sure we know and have heard before, it is said that the high priest would have a rope tied around his waist and bells on his ankles in case the glory of God was so present that it actually caused the high priest to drop dead. If they heard the bell stop moving and felt the rope go loose, then they would pull the body out expecting that the high priest might be dead. And so you have this really clear process of uh, both separation and preparation that leads to the high priest coming before God. Then what you also see described in this chapter are all of these symbols, these visual markers which represent the history of God's people as, as they relate to God and as God relates to them. And I just want to focus in on verse 4. And what we have described in there, and I want us to try and visualize it together, is imagine the high priestess just walks through this really thick curtain, inches thick, a clear divide and separation. And before him is this golden altar of incense, and a gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. That's what it's described as, the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, this was the physical representation of the relationship between God and his people. And the key things which marked that out for them were first a gold jar of manna, which was the food that God had provided to his people when they were in the desert, walking through the wilderness, trusting that God would provide for their every daily basic need. Second, you have Aaron's staff that had budded, which was the way that they discerned which tribe would become priests. And then third, you have the stone tablets of the covenant, which was the way of life that was offered and was required of God's people in order for them to be set apart from the rest of the world. And so we have here described this, this real strength of promise and relationship represented through the Ark of the Covenant, that God will be with his people and provide for them their every daily needs. He'll provide a way for them to come into his presence, but they also need to live in line with his commands. Now that you have that image in your head, I want us to reflect on what we have now in Christ. Because as we've been hearing in the last few weeks, we know that this wasn't the answer, that the separation between God and his people was never the intention, but it was required because God's people constantly failed to live up to their side of this partnership, this relationship. 
And so Jesus comes. And in chapter 9, we see in verse 11 that he comes to a tabernacle not created by human hands. In other words, not just a visual representation of heaven realities, but he came right into the presence of God on our behalf. And he still stands there as the once for all sacrifice for us, who makes it possible for us to step fully into the presence of God. Which is just incredible, isn't it? That is what is an offer to us. Reflect on it for a moment. Breathe it in. We have access to God, the creator of the universe, the Lord and King, the one who is restoring and renewing all things, the one whose plan somehow is both cosmic in scale and yet at micro level involves us and is deeply interested in us. We are welcomed into the courts of the king and we can enter with confidence. That's what we read about in the next chapter of Hebrews. So my question for us, the thing that I'd really like us to wrestle with and think about this week is, do we know this to be true in our lives? Do we know that we have this incredible immediate access to God through Jesus? Or have we set up in our lives our own unhelpful versions of tabernacles? Have we decided maybe that there are some things that we need to do or some places that we need to be in order for us to meet with God? Maybe the first curtain for us is a building or a space. And because our whole lives or for how long, however long we've been following Jesus, we've associated the presence of God with a specific place. We now find it really hard to engage with him because we can't be in that space. Is that something of our construction? I think chapter 9 tells us that in Jesus, we have access to God right where we are. And maybe this the second curtain, the thing that actually we feel like disqualifies us from coming before God is more based on lifestyle. Maybe we've decided that in order for us to really know the presence of God, we need to have done these things right. We need to have done a certain number of things in the right way. Maybe we needed to have read a certain amount of the Bible in that week, prayed a certain amount of time, done a certain amount of good deeds whatever it might be something that might reassure us that we're okay to do what we're doing or we're okay to come before God and in the process of that we've rebuilt a barrier which means that when we don't live up to those expectations we created in our heads then we feel unable to come before God we feel disqualified from his presence in this season what might it look like to begin to take apart these structures and habits that have caused us to feel distance from God? To take apart the need to be in a specific place or doing certain things in order for us to come before God in his presence. We can come with confidence before him right where we are now. And as we're talking about worship, really, 
because that's what we're doing. That's what this whole chapter is about. Us coming before God and giving him our full attention, giving him our lives. What might it look like for us to worship God in this season? Well, John chapter 4 actually tells us something which I think is really key in this. What Jesus says is that it will come a day, and this, this day is upon us now, where we will no longer need to worship God in temples or on mountains, but in spirit and in truth. In spirit, because God is spirit, and therefore is with us where we are. His presence is with us, and we worship in truth declaring and reminding ourselves, our hearts and our minds, of the reality that we are saved in Jesus, that we know the God of creation and the God who's redeeming things to himself. And we get to be part of that. And so let's not wait for the time when we can come together in a building again in order for us to worship, in order for us to come before God but where we are, let us in each day worship God in spirit and in truth. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this passage, for this revelation of all that Jesus has done for us, for the way that is offered to us to come before you because of all that he's done. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you for this salvation, for this hope which is an anchor to us in the storms as we've been hearing about. God, I thank you for this anchor that we have. And I pray that you teach us what it looks like to worship you in spirit and in truth in this season. Thank you that you're with us. Amen. Oh,